Oh, good morning, church. It is good to be home. Good to be here. Let's, uh, let, me, let me go through that verse with you one more. This has been the theme now for seven weeks, and uh, looking at areas in our lives that God desires to develop skills. If the axe is dull and its edge is unsharpened, more strength is needed. But skill will bring success. I hope many of us have actually committed that to, uh, to memory. Uh, we, uh, Karen and I just got back from being in Montana and up in Canada a little bit for a little bit over two weeks, and we had a great opportunity to just relax and enjoy so much of God's creation, and uh, it was absolutely beautiful up there. Uh, coming back, what we did, instead of coming back down through Flagstaff, I wanted to come a different way, so we came back through Las Vegas, and we went to a casino. Yeah, we did. <laughs> and uh, so we walked through this whole casino. It was right next to the place, the campground that we were at, and uh, walked through the whole casino, and we're going through all the slot machines are and all kinds of this stuff, and I'm walking through, and one of the things that I noticed is nobody in there really looked happy. I mean, none of them looked happy. They didn't, even, they didn't even look like they were enjoying what they were doing. And so we're walking all through that, and then we got over to this, this table. I, actually, the only table that it looked like people were at least a part of a process where they were maybe enjoying it was that table where they, they throw the dice. What, what do you call that? Yeah, so you guys would know that, right? I've been paying attention to who answered that question, you know. And I mean, they were engaged a little bit, but nobody else was happy. I mean, it was, it was like, holy cow. I, I thought, yeah. Anyway, um, so we, we kept walking, and this casino actually had a theater. So they had like 10 theaters. We all, all the way up this long escalator. We went to a movie while we were there at the casino. And the movie was called The Overcomer. How, how many of you heard of that movie? Let me tell you something. If you have not seen that movie, I would encourage you to go and see it. I guarantee that you, when, when it comes to the end of that movie, you will have enjoyed that movie. So take advantage of it. We, we really enjoyed it. Go see the movie. Over the last seven weeks, we've been looking at that passage of Scripture, and we've been looking at different places in our lives that God actually wants to sharpen us, to actually take us to the place where we, we can grow in an area. Chris Oakley was here and talked about the whole area of, of developing confidence in God. And you develop confidence in something by be doing it in a, re, in a repeated fashion. You repeat it over and over again, and then you have confidence in it. But you never can get confidence in something if you're not willing to take the first step. Chris talked about that. And then I talked about a number of, I talked about what matters most, recognizing what matters most in our lives. And, and, and so choosing the things that we're going to pour our lives into or we're not going to waste our time on. And then even timing in Scripture. Scripture tells us some things that we need to do quickly and other things that we need to take our time doing. Sharpening the axe, developing these skills in our lives. Then I talked about debt and giving, a skill that God wants to develop in our lives. 
and so we can live from the benefits of it. Over the last couple of weeks, Danny talked about how to learn not to listen so much to negative people and how to be a lifelong learner. And today I want to wrap it up and I want to look at a whole area that Jesus talked about. It's an area that Jesus took the 12. He ministered almost three years in ministry. Jesus ministered on this planet and he took the 12 along with him and in a group that was even larger than the 12 that followed a little bit further away and even a group of 120 that, 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 were, that had begun to grow in following Christ. And Jesus took them through that process of almost three years, and just before he left, he turns to his disciples, and through his disciples into that group that were following him, he says, I want you to be my witnesses. I, I want you to be the very process that I am going to use to share what I've done for the world with the world. And if you're taking notes this morning, you'll notice a couple of fill-ins there. The first one is this, the ultimate purpose of my life and the ultimate purpose of your life is to make a difference. It's to make a difference. The Bible is filled it, the Bible actually has a spiritual journey for you and for me. There, there are some basic things that God wants to accomplish in your life and in my life. The first thing he wants to accomplish is he wants you to get to know him, and he wants me to get to know him, to actually have a relationship with him. That's God's desire for you and for me. And he does it through his word, and he does it through his Holy Spirit, and he does it through us getting together and getting to know him. The second thing he wants is he wants you and I to find freedom. He wants us to get to know him and to find freedom in our lives. So often we don't find freedom in our lives because of something in our past, Something in our past that, that shapes us and, and controls where we go in the future. Our past mistakes can actually keep us from enjoying the best life that God has for us. He wants you and I to have the best life that he has for us. And he wants to break the shackles, the things in our past that can control where we go in life. He wants us to find freedom. The third thing that he wants us to do is he wants us to discover our purpose. God has a plan and a purpose for every single one of us. There's a specific thing that God has for you to do. There's an area that you are best at. That It's a gift that he gives to each of his followers. He, he gives us this special ability and learning what that is and actually using it in our lives and doing what he has for us. The very sad thing that, I, that nine out of 10 believers in America do not do is they do not find the very thing that God has planned for them to do and then live beneath their privilege because of it. God wants to accomplish something specifically in your life and through your life. The best thing is when I can lay my head on a pillow at night 
and I can say, you know, I did something today that mattered. I did something today that mattered in somebody else's life. Church, it's a big deal. Jesus came to change the world, and he came to do it through us. Some, some of you would say to me, you know what, James, I don't even like my life. Some of you might even say, James, my life sucks. When our life is about us, when we focus on ourselves, our lives are not fulfilling at all. As a matter of fact, Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa said this. She said, a life not lived for others is not a life. It's not even a life. We think life is about us. Rick Warren wrote, wrote The Purpose Driven Life. And they revised the book and called it, What on Earth Am I Here For? And the very first line in the book is, it's not about you. When you think life's about you, you're going to live an unfulfilled life. The Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He wrote more than half of the New Testament. And Paul, he wrote letters to churches that he'd started in the New Testament. He wrote a letter to the church in Ephesians. He, he wrote a letter to the Philippian church. And, and, and all, he, writes, he wrote these letters, and, and they're addressed to churches. But then there's something else Paul did that I really want to focus on this morning. Paul not only wrote letters to whole churches, Paul actually wrote letters to pastors of some of the churches. He wrote a letter to Timothy. More than one, actually, he wrote these letters specifically to Timothy as a pastor, as Timothy pastored the church in Ephesus. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, look what he says. He says, command those who are rich in this present world. In other words, command the people. In other words, encourage the people in your church who are wealthy or comfortable. The people in your church who have money. He said, encourage he, this, this translation says command. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put all their hope in their wealth. But he says, instead of doing that, command them to not be so focused and put their hopes in their wealth, which, by the way, he says, is uncertain. In other words, while you have it now, there may come a day that you don't have it. Don't put all your hope in that, but to put their hope in God. And then he goes on to say, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. When, when we talk about money, and I talk about finances, and we talk about giving in the church, so often people get the idea that God is saying, you, you just need to give it all to him. That, that's not what the Bible teaches. It's not what we teach. God, God asks us to give, and he specifically gives us an amount to give, and, and, and he gives us a percentage to give. Because God wants you and I to enjoy our money. He wants us to enjoy the fruits of our labors. He says there, he, he, he says, lay up treasures for themselves, be rich in good deeds. He says in the passage before that I read, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. He wants us to enjoy the things that we have worked hard for. And he goes on to say, command them to do good. 
That phrase, remember that phrase, and it'll be hard to forget it because you're going to hear it as, as Paul writes to pastors, you're going to hear that phrase over and over again. He says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, he says, and to be generous and willing to share. Paul writes to Timothy and says, Timothy, teach your church to be rich. Teach your church to be rich in doing good deeds. Teach them that. Take the time to help them understand that. In this way, verse 19, he says, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. In other words, they will begin to put a foundation in their life that I, God, their creator, will build on year after year all the way through, even into eternity, for the coming age, he says, so that they may take hold of a life that is truly life. You need to circle those two words in your notes, truly life. Paul writes to Timothy. He says, Timothy, teach your church to do good so that they may, really they may really understand what life is about, so that their life will be rich. Christianity is not a club for people who are just going to meet on Sunday and connect here. Jesus, to his children, to you and I, those of us who've accepted him as our Savior, those of us who recognize that we, we were sinners in a broken and a fallen world, and God sent his son Jesus to die for our sins. We understood what he was saying and what he did, and we accepted it, and we believed it. And believing that brought us into his family. And we are now a part of his family. And when we, in the day that we leave this planet, we, we will, the Bible says we will be with him. So we have settled this whole eternity issue. And then Jesus taught us as his children, as his followers, to serve each other. He encouraged us to love each other. He encourages us to give. Danny shared before, everything happens in our church and around our church and through us because you and I are obedient and faithful in our giving. Jesus taught things like go the extra mile. You say, well, what, what, what does he mean by that? And we kind of, we've embraced that phrase even in our culture. But in Jesus' day, it was the law. It was the law that if a Roman soldier carrying his backpack or anything he was carrying, if he came up to anyone, any citizen, and said, listen, I need you to carry this for me for a mile, it was the law that you were required to carry it for one mile. And Jesus said, you know what? If, if a soldier asks that, if someone asks you that, don't, don't just do what the law requires. Jesus said, go two miles. Give it double. Double it. Go two miles. Jesus said things like, if, if you, cannot, you cannot love God and not love people. If you claim to love God, then you have to also love people. You can't do one and not the other. 
And, and he just gives us so clarity on that. And this morning, I just want to share a very simple message. This is an ax that I believe, as followers of Christ, we need to sharpen. This is an area that God wants to take in our lives, and then he wants to turn it into us, into a strength in our lives. He, he wants to utilize it in our lives. And it's such a simple message. Jesus said, I want you to be my witnesses. That's what I want you to do. That's the skill that I want you to develop. He talked to the 12. He was getting ready to go, and he's there around the table with them. And he turns to them, and he says, I want you to be my witnesses. And the world will know that you're my witnesses, that you're my disciples by the way you love each other. But you are my witnesses. This message is simple. But pastor, I, I, I like to go deep. I want to go deep. You want to go deep? Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. You want to go deep? Love God and love people. This subject of deep, it's interestingly enough, Andy Stanley says going deep is, it simply means that you're in over your head. Chris Hodges says going deep is like saying, go ahead, confuse me. Chris Hodges said this. He says, when someone's drowning, they don't, know, they don't want to know the Greek word for life raft. They just want you to throw them one. Paul, he writes a letter to Timothy. Paul also writes a letter to Titus. And, and look at the focus of Paul's letter that he writes to Titus. See, Timothy was pastoring the church in Ephesus. Titus is actually pastoring several churches in the island of Crete. Titus was actually probably one of the first multi-site church pastors. He's pastoring a group of churches in the island of Crete. And Paul writes this letter to Titus. And in Titus chapter 2, I'll just pick it up right there. Look what he says in verse 7. He says, in everything... Set them, and he's talking about the people in Titus's churches. Paul writes this to Titus. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. What, what, what Paul, Paul writes to Timothy. Okay, Timothy, you need to teach your church to do things that are good. In verse chapter 3, verse 1, he, he picks it up again. He says, remind the people... Remind the people in your church to be ready to do whatever is good. He's not telling them this so that they go and do this so that they earn their salvation. They're already in God's family. They've accepted. The only way to be saved is to accept God's gift, to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and he died for our sins. And when you do that, you become what we call saved. You become a part of his family. They're already in the family. He's telling them to do what is good. Make it a focus. Remind the people, be ready to do whatever is good. Chapter 3, verse 8. I want you to, he picks it up again. I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God, remember, already believers, 
So those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. He stresses this over and over again. These things are excellent and profitable. You may want to underline those two words. If, if you're doing what is good, Paul says, that is excellent and that is profitable for, for who? Some of the believers? No, he says for everyone, for everyone. And then on down in chapter 3 at verse 14, he picks it up again. Our people must learn. Our people must sharpen the axe and develop the skill of doing what is good in order to provide for daily necessities and not live unproductive lives. Paul to Timothy, Paul to Titus, I want you to teach your church to do what is good because if they don't do this, then they will be living unproductive lives. Listen, you and I do not want to get to the end of our lives and come to the place and we stop and think about our lives and we recognize that we have lived an unproductive life. Paul gives Timothy and Titus clear direction so that we don't end up there. So I want to look at three simple questions with you. And you can fill them all right in in your notes. And some of you have already gone through your notes and you've already filled them in. And you think you know the answers. Let's see how good you are. The first one is, why should I do good? Why should I do good? Why? And, and our response is probably going to be something like, well, we should do good because it's right, and that's true. We should do good because it needs to be done, and that's true. But one of the things about God is he actually wants you and I to enjoy doing what's good. He wants us to enjoy our lives. We, we sometimes don't recognize that, but he wants us to enjoy this process of doing good. At the same time, we're being obedient. He, he doesn't want us to just do this because he wants us to do it. That's a great reason. But God is a loving and a caring God and he wants us to enjoy this very process. And doing good, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, is actually your destiny. It's why you were created and why I was created. If you're a believer, doing good is the thing that God has called you and I to do. And he wants us to enjoy it. And he wants us to enjoy each other. And he wants us to enjoy giving. And he wants us to enjoy inviting. I don't know about you, but I enjoy my family. How many of you would, would rate, you say, yeah, I enjoy my family. Put, put your hand up. Now, I know there's somebody in your family that we typically wouldn't enjoy, right? We all have that person in our family. But I thoroughly enjoy, I enjoy my kids. Even, even Trisha, when I, when I get on the phone with Trisha, she, she, she tells me about, about our three grandkids there. She tells me what Ava's doing, what Cole is doing, what Alex is doing. And then I just enjoy hearing about it. And now with Jordan and Julia, you know, they, the, Jordan and Julia come to visit us and, and, and you know, we just, we, we, we greet each other at the door, hug each other. But, 
we're, we're quick to take Blake right out of their hands. We, we are enjoying our, enjoy, we were, our families were given to us to enjoy. And it's the same with our spiritual family. Doing good and enjoying it is the very process that God desires for you and for me. You know, it's looking at years of, of ministry and looking at, back at people's lives, I can, I can remember people, people saying to me that, I, that they were still seeking God's will in their life. I don't know if you've ever heard someone say that, but I've heard people say that. In the, I, I'm still seeking God's will for my life. Almost like it's a, it's a destination. And that's not the process that God has for us. Your destiny is, is today. My destiny is today. Doing things today. God has, a, God has things that he, moment by moment, day by day, hour by hour, walking in obedience to him and growing in our relationship with him. You, know, the, you, you come in this morning and you see me on the stage in our whole praise band and the reality is every single one of you who are followers of Christ are just as called to ministry as anyone who's been on this platform this morning. That's his desire for you. That's his desire for me. As a matter of fact, there's a passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 10. I, I've said this one over and over again. For we are God's handiwork. I, I got to stop there. Church, we, we need to look at this for just a second. We are God's handiwork. You. Now, listen to me. Not the person next to you. Not the person who leads your life group. Not the person who's teaching a class that you're... Not, not, not me. You. You as an individual, you are God's handiwork. Let me give you a little bit more clarity. This is the God who is all-powerful. There's nothing he doesn't know. There's nothing he can't do. And in the beginning, he actually, he actually spoke. This is how powerful he is. He sp the Bible says he spoke everything into existence. The creator of the universe, the Bible says, you as an individual are his handiwork. And some of us think that we're here just because of some people's decisions, some people's even mistakes, or it just is happenstance that we end it, and that's, that's why we're here. And the the Bible says, no, no, that's not true. The Bible says, this is what's true. We are God's handiwork. You are God's handiwork. You, you have it in the back of your mind that you're a mistake or you're a problem or, or you're, you're nothing but a failure. God says, you are my handiwork. When we understand that church, I, I want to stop and really just settle into this for a moment because some of us really need to settle that in our thought process. I am God's handiwork. And it doesn't say the beginning of your life was 
God's hand. It, does, it said you are. It is an ongoing process in a broken and a fallen world. This creator of the universe is taking everything in your life, your experiences, your failures, your mess-ups, the things that people have done to you, everything that has gone on your... He takes that and he weaves it into the process of what he is doing in your life, his handiwork. This is who we're talking about. And then he goes on. We are God's handiwork. We are created in Christ Jesus, the creator of the universe who provided our Savior. We are his handiwork, and he has good works which he prepared in advance to, for us to do. It, 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 see, it's not like, like, like he thought of some things afterwards. He knew before we were even born the things that he wants us to do, and we think that we were an accident. We think we just happen to be. You know, it's not, like, it's, like, it's not like you come to Christ and you accept him as your savior and God is like, let's see, what am I going to do with her now? He knew in advance everything that he has for us to do. And every single one of us as followers of Christ has a gift. The Bible talks about this. It has a divine gift gift. It, it has a, a divine ability that only you have that he wants you to use. Look, look what Mother Teresa says. We are the hands and we are the feet of Jesus. Us. Those of us who are followers of Christ, who, who are, his divine handiwork is at work in our lives. The only way the things that Jesus once done will get done is if we do it, is what Mother Teresa is saying. And Jesus, after almost three years of ministry, turns to the disciples and he says, you will be my witnesses. You will be the method that this message will get shared to everyone. You'll be my witnesses. And it can be as simple as, as sharing with someone close to you, you know what, I've started going to a church called Camelback, and, and, and I, I like what God's doing in my life. Or here's the things that I notice God is doing in my life. When you go to Sam's or Costco, I don't know, how, how many of you go to Sam's or Costco? Either one of them, put your hand, let me, so you'll know what I'm talking about. And some of you probably go just because you go around lunchtime because, you know, if you walk through that place, they have, they have all, at the ends of the aisles, they have places where you can sample the foods, right? And, and you can get as many pieces as you want. So you can go and have lunch there without even buying anything, right? Well, here's the deal. When Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, it's just like those people at the end of the aisles who are giving you samples of food. Here, try this. You can buy this. Try, try this. You can have this. That's, just, that's the same thing. That's exactly what the church is doing. That's exactly what Jesus meant when he said, come and be my witnesses. That's the church. Number two in your notes is, where should I do good? Where should I do good? 
You think, well, you know what? I should do good in a good place, so I should do good at church. Well, yeah, that's true. But you should really do good wherever you are. You should do good at work. You should do good at school. You should do good at home. Ever thought about that, doing good at home? To which the lady said, amen. We should do good wherever we are. We should show up at work sometimes with a dozen Dunkin' Donuts. Can you, can you imagine? It's like you almost feel more spiritual just even thinking about that, right? Dunkin' Donuts. God, God, you know, God says, I want you to do good wherever you are. Wherever you are. Albert Schweitzer was a great humanitarian. Albert Schweitzer built hospitals in Africa. Look what he has to say. Keep your eyes open for the little tasks because it's the little tasks, kind tasks that are important to Jesus. The little tasks. You're here, so do good here, wherever that is. So how should I do good would be the third question. You know, Karen and I spent two weeks up in Montana and Canada, and we, we, just, we just thoroughly enjoyed every bit of it. We relaxed. We were in the forest. We were in nature. We were in the mountains. We, we just enjoyed every bit of it. We went into Canada, and, and we saw uh, a good part of the Iceland's Parkway, and uh, fascinating to see God's creation. I think you and I, and I certainly am guilty of it, sometimes we are going through life too fast. We go through life too fast, and we're not taking the time in the relationships that God has placed in our lives. It's, it's hard to be his witnesses when, when, you're, when you're driving through so fast, through life so fast. It's almost like when, you, when you're flying, you can go over a city, and it's gone like that. I think sometimes we need to slow down and enjoy what he has for us. What I want to challenge our entire church with this morning will actually be something that I want to challenge our church with for this next entire year. When I pull into a drive-through, whether it's McDonald's or Jack in the Box or, or Starbucks or, or Dunkin' Donuts or, or whatever it is, and I, I don't find myself in too many of those uh, as much as I used to be, but I notice that one of the things that I do is I look in the rearview mirror to see who's in the car behind me. I, I do it often enough. Anytime I'm in drive-through, it just seems to be one of the things that I do. And with that in mind, we have actually had these little cards made up. And on the front of this card, it says, something extra to show you God loves you. And on the other side of the card, it says, and so do we, camelback.cc. And we have ordered quite a few of these cards. Because I want to challenge our church family. I want to challenge our church family to, as you and I drive through the drive-throughs at McDonald's, Wendy's, whatever places you go to, 
I want you and I to be willing to look in the rearview mirror and, and simply be willing to ask God, Lord, is that someone that you want me to buy lunch for or buy breakfast for? And simply, when we pay for hours in the window, just simply say to the person in the window, I would like to pay for the lunch of the person behind me. And, and, and we pay for that. And then we simply ask that person, would you just give them this card? Over the course of the next year, see, Jesus said, I want you to be my witnesses. And you don't have to spend money, really, to, to do this. I mean, you have a face. You can smile. Do you know what it's like when someone smiles at you when you go through a drive through window or when someone is not very friendly? We have the opportunity to do that everywhere. But as you and I pull through drive through windows and we grab our lunch or our breakfast and we look in the mirror and we say, Lord, is that someone? And, and frankly, it's an opportunity to get more in tune with our Savior, to, to closen the relationship with our Savior. Jesus, Jesus didn't send the 12 to Bible college. He just said, come and follow me. And the degree to the closeness of their following, that's the degree of the relationship that they had with him. Peter, James, and John had a closer relationship with Jesus than the rest of the 12. John had even a closer relationship with Jesus than Peter and James. The degree that you and I, the space between us and Christ, as we follow him, as we spend time in his word, as we spend time with him, as we spend time with his family, the degree that we follow him will determine the closeness of our relationship. Through a drive through window, we have an opportunity to say, Lord, should I buy this lunch? And over the next year, listen, you, you can decide however much you want to do this or don't want to do this. But my challenge is to our church family, I've already got a stack of these in my truck. I'm going to do this. Do you know why? Because Jesus said, will you be my witness? And that is just one of the opportunities to do that. And I'm going to dive in. And our first church, our first service, they, people took these cards with them. And I'd encourage you, as you leave here this morning, grab some. Don't feel like you need to run out and buy lunch for everybody. But, but be willing to be sensitive and say, Lord, is this the one? And if in doubt, just buy it. <laughs> I'm, looking, I'm looking for the stories that we hear from this over the next year. I'm looking for the difference that's made in eternity because somebody comes to Christ because I was willing to buy them a lunch or a coffee. It is an opportunity. Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses. Church, let's find ways over this next year to sharpen the ax on evangelism, to sharpen the ax on inviting someone, being willing to invite someone in our family. Maybe you're sitting at Denny's and you see a family over there and you think, you know what, I'm going to buy their lunch. 
and you tell the waiter you want their bill and you pay their bill and you ask the waiter, would you simply just give them this card? Oh, would you be my witnesses? Romans 8, 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Jesus turned to his children and said, would you be my witnesses? Church, are we up for it? Are we up for it? Are we willing to say, I'm willing to do that? I'm willing to take this next year, and maybe it's once a week or once a month, or you're just going to do it as many, whatever. But being willing to say, when Jesus says to you and I, would you be my witnesses? Let's sharpen that ax. Let's not just talk about it. Let's do it. Eternity will be filled with people who are there because we were willing to do it. Father, thank you. God bless our church. Thank you for pulling our church together. Thank you for developing us, for, for bringing us all into a process and making us a part of what you are doing. Thank you for giving us the privilege of that. Help us to learn to love and enjoy it. And may we just live in the blessing of that. 